Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Hello, November 7, 2019. Gino Bacola, the co-host here, ready to introduce the main man, Mike Abadir. And Mike, we talk a lot of sports on this show, lots of different sports. And I think one of my favorite things about sports in general, it is so unpredictable and you never know what random kind of silly things you're going to get out of it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had Sammy Darnold seeing some ghosts. We've had Baker Mayfield looking like an insurance salesman in his postgame presser, and he shaved a few times. And and we had a cat on the field on Monday night. Aren't sports great? No doubt about it, man. You, you're, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, they say like anytime you watch a baseball game, you get to see something new. But sports overall as a whole, hell yeah, you're going to see something crazy every once in a while. Obviously, we just had Halloween and uh, all all that comes from that, including ghosts for Sam Darnold. But I kind of wanted to, to, to start on a quick note, which is as an SC fan to get your thoughts on Mike Bond. Now, here's something really interesting to me. And I'm sure you and other folks who, uh, you know, either listen to the show or are into horse racing or who know Keeneland Dan know that Cincinnati has brought out two people out this way, one at UCLA and one at USC. Why do you share with everybody what, what I'm talking about and give me your thoughts on Mike Bond? Yeah, USC uh, hired a new athletic director today. And what, as you kind of mentioned, he comes from Cincinnati. What's great about this hire for USC is the last, you know, five years or so where they've struggled and and even five into 10 years now, it's been going on where they haven't been quite the dominant team that they were in the Pete Carroll era and the John Robinson era before that. And um, is there's too much of, of going back to the well um, with, with, with there was always this image of they have to be a USC guy, the coach or a, a coordinator or, you know, or the president or the AD. And and I don't I don't necessarily like that. Sometimes you need to just go in a different direction. And I th- think this is a great, great hire. What I love is he came in right away. And the first thing that one of the first things he's been saying is, you know, the, the motto here is fight on. It's not fight on. It's fight on to victory, which is set in the USC fight song. So he said, you know, we hear fight on a lot. But I think in the last couple of years, the whole to victory has been kind of dropped. And that's the key point of the fight on, which that's what I want to hear as a fan right away. He's already thinking about winning. He's not talking about any moral victories or we played well and we could have won that game or we should have won that game. It's not the way you it's not the way you operate at USC. You know, that's not the way you operate when you're the Yankees, the Lakers, the, you know, the, the Cowboys, the, the big organizations that are for the most, you know, they're, they're in it to win, but they're in for entertainment as well. So, I mean, I absolutely love this. And the obvious rumors for all around are that Urban Meyer is going to be coming in. And I don't like Urban Meyer as a person from, from everything I've read and, and heard and, and all of, you know, his, uh, the issues that he's had kind of with, with. Um, discipline and his players and they've gotten out of hand and a lot of them arrested, but I don't think you can, you can really, let's call it what it is. Some cover ups as well. It is, it is, but I I don't think you can, you can knock his coaching, his recruiting, his coaching, everything he does as far as like putting a winner out on the field is awesome. I'm just nervous. Is like, is it in, 
LA at USC, a place that can very quickly become like a pro team when they're good. You know, like we, like we've seen, it worries me a little bit just from a, is this, I hope everything stays clean. I hope we don't get back into like dirty allegations. We're paying this, we're paying that because it seems like everywhere herb goes, when he leaves, he leaves a trail of dust, you know, and, and all that, and all, and all that starts to pop up. So I, I just, Clay Helton, we've talked about it for years now. Nice guy, great guy, but you can be a nice person and just not be very good at your job. And unfortunately, that's what it's come down to here with Clay. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, if they do hire Urban Wire, uh, we'll have to bring on Adrian Ross uh, because he was a part of the Colorado State family, Urban Meyer, uh, well yeah. before he became head coach at Utah. Uh, obviously, one at, you know, one at Bowling Green, one at Utah, one at Florida, one at Ohio State, obviously. But before that, he was a wide receivers coach at Colorado State. And I don't know if it was the exact time that Adrian was there or if there was an overlap, but I know that they know each other. So maybe we can get some real like inside scoop from uh, from Big A as to his thoughts on that. But, you know, I, I agree with you on the um, it's not necessary to hire a USC guy, you know, and no. there, there are a lot of there are a lot of schools or pro, pro teams that kind of have. That mantra, you know, this is it's a Raider guy a or Raider, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. it's not it's not always a necessity. I mean, if you can it's do good, it, but great. it's a nice bonus. A nice it is bonus a nice when you get one. You know? And, but but sometimes, just, like, sometimes you just need like a like a breath of fresh air. You know what I mean? Yep. And and uh, you know, let's face it. I mean, you look at USC. I think, they've, I think they've run through as many candidates as they probably could from the choices that are out here, and they let Ed O go. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any regret on their part or not. Uh, From the fans, there are. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, I mean, that's an SC guy, right? I mean, so we we loved Edo, and and the, what's funny is they were worried about hiring Edo because they were worried that he wasn't enough of a head coach, which is kind of funny. They said that Edo's the type of guy that goes and has a beer with the players sometimes, you know, like uh, after a game, and that they were nervous about him being the head of a program at USC. And then they went and hired, and they hired late. You know, this is a, an organization in a in a school that hired Lane Kiffin, who's like literally known for being like the worst guy when it comes to like hanging, partying with the players, like it, like stuff with with young female, you know, sc- students, like all sorts of negative and real bad stuff. So they just made the wrong move. It, like all the moves they've made have been wrong. The only one that I actually, I, I'm a little, I feel bad for right now is Graham Harrell because he's done a hell of a job this year as an offensive coordinator at USC. He is not the reason why USC has lost some of the games. It's the defense and it's the overall, you know, coaching decisions, what they do, the little things here and there. Graham Harrell's been great. I mean, he's won games this year with three different starting quarterbacks at USC. They've had a lot of injuries to deal with from some of their skill players. They're down to like their fourth string running back uh, right now. And so it's going to be unfortunate when they most likely do bring Urban Meyer in and, you know, he's going to bring in his whole new staff. I do feel bad for the one guy who's actually done a really good job this year, which is Graham Harrell. He, you know, he filled in when it looked like Cliff Kingsbury was going to take that job and he's done a real admirable job. You know, you lose your, your starting quarterback who's supposed to be the guy for the next few years in game two and you come right back with a true freshman Keaton Slovis and he beats Stanford. I think he's done a great job and I'm a little bit I guess disappointed because I'd, I'd love to see him continue to pull the strings at USC, but that's not going to happen when, when a new coach comes in, they're going to want to bring in their whole new staff. Well, and you know, uh, I mean, if, if you like, if you like Cliff 
Kingsbury, you would, you're going to like Graham Harrell, right? Mm-hmm. And and so to me, uh, you know, who knows though? Maybe maybe he is one of those guys where when they look when a new head coach comes in and looks to you know which members of the staff they're going to retain, you know, yeah, you're right. Typically, they're going to bring in you know their guys or whatnot. But on occasion, you'll see that they maybe. You're- like the system, if it's the same yep. system or re- related to one that they utilize, I think it could be a consideration, especially for somebody like him who's still young in his mid-30s and has, has really, really done a, a good job given the circumstances that he's been dealt with. So I agree with he's you. He's not a healthy guy solid. either. No. You know, like he's, he wasn't like one uh, a coach that's been here for the last five years as Helton's guy who he – who he like promoted. This is a guy who is not a USC guy, just like we've been talking about. This is someone who they brought from the outside to try to help. And I mean, I was looking the, the, the biggest problem that USC has this year, Mike is, is not the scoring because USC averages 432 total yards a game, but they give up 426 total yards a game. I mean, right there, like that, that's it. That's why you're a five and four team and you're you're a two point underdog on the road against Arizona State this week. So like as a as a fan, what's frustrating is that like when you look at this, you look through this USC schedule this year, they beat Utah. They were in the game with Oregon and then they just kind of quit the other night. I don't think USC is as good as Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, any of those top tier teams. But it's sad that this is again like another down year in the Pac-12 where USC could have beaten and like could be have one loss or zero losses very easily, even not being a top tier team. You know, they, they could make it into a playoff and then get blown out. But these the games that they should be winning that they aren't like you can't lose at BYU. I mean, you're up at Washington. That's that's a tough place to play. Like maybe we'll give it you give it there. You have Oregon at home. You, you're right in the game, and then you're you just completely get out coached. They should have lost to Colorado. You know, they got against Notre Dame. It's like a big game. They, they come out firing, they play well, but they just can't score. It's like every game there. It reminds me a lot of the Browns, Mike. It really does. You know what I call that? I call that inconsistent, right? Their issue is that they haven't had consistency. So what happens, you end up the year, you know, with a six or seven win team, you, you become bowl eligible, you play in some BS bowl game and you look back at the season and you say, you know what? On any given Saturday, they could beat almost any team in the country outside of maybe like like you said the very top tier. Like let's and even them they they, they might go into a shootout with one of those type of teams. But I mean, aside from the very very top tier, you know, let's just say anybody outside the top five, they could beat on any Saturday. They could also lose to UTEP, right? I mean, that's the problem. That's and that's like when Clay Helton. Came out that or not after the game, he was talking about. He was asked, and this is the things that like are, are infuriating. You can tell pretty quickly, and you you were like all over this with Adam Gase last year and the last couple years. It's like you can tell not, and, and I mean like not everyone, but like ninety five percent of people when they have their press conference right off the bat, you can tell if they're going to be an okay coach or not. I mean, I just like the way they talk. And sometimes you get unlucky and things that don't happen. Like some players get hurt or you have injuries, sure. But when you hear someone come out and you're like, uh-oh, I don't like what they're saying, that you're in trouble right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like you sniff that out with Gase. And, and that's the problem with Helton is after every game, he just says things that are wrong. Like the other day they, they asked him after the game about USC's kick returning. And he said, yeah, you know, 
We're, we, we're, we're good. I, I think we're really good on kick returns. Well, they were 12 to 12 in the Pac-12. Yeah, aren't, and they're I was like, say, aren't they one of the worst teams in the Pac-12? They're 150th nationally. Yeah. Like, how can you say something that's just so wrong like that? You know, like, and I, I keep bringing, it reminds me of Freddie Kitchens because I heard this morning one, like a, a quote from Freddie Quit Kitchens and, and one of the reporters was asking him about Baker and, and the interceptions. And I, I, I understand what Freddie was trying to say is like, when you look in them, Baker's had a lot of dropped interceptions, tipped interceptions, a couple that were not his fault, you know, and, and in an eight game sample size, if you have four of those, that's, that's why your numbers look higher. But he said, I don't look at the stats. Like he literally said, I don't look at the stats as a head coach of a football team. Like, how do you say that? I, that, that can't be true. He's obviously looking at some stats, but like, I don't, we, we thought, and, and you said you were worried about the Browns at the beginning of the year because of, you know, the coaching because and stuff. Of kitchens. Yeah. Because of and, kitchens and, himself. and I, and I wasn't worried because I didn't think anybody could be this bad as he is like, even if you were just a regularly bad coach, he would have won. This Cleveland Browns team would have won three more games. I mean, coming off their loss last week, it, it's unbelievable that they lost. They did get unlucky again with a really bad spot that should have been a first down that they kind of got screwed on. But that, that's like the story of every one of their games. They'll be like one play that they kind of get screwed on, and then the team cracks. They can't. But, but let, me, like, let me tell you something, Gino, because sometimes it's a little bit difficult to wrap your head around it. You know, 99.99% of the public hasn't been around like a coaching staff. I had, I don't know if you want to call it the pleasure or the the disaster of being uh, with the Raiders when they had so many different coaching staffs. I was there when they had Joe Bugle, Mike White. uh, Man, I'm even blanking on, there was four coaches in five years. The last one being John Gruden. And with each staff, you saw something different that was brought to the table. But then when you saw Gruden come in, those other guys were all old school type coaches. Uh, I think Norv Turner was one of those years as well. Uh, But you had all those old school type coaches. And all of a sudden you get this younger guy, hotshot guy. He's got a lot of confidence, but he did things very, very differently. And right out of the gate, you're like, you know what? This is different. This guy is a winner. And he knows how to bring all these guys together to believe that they're going to be a winner as well. And he had a proven track record over time, right? He'd worked with Steve Young. He'd worked with uh, Brett Favre. So he, he'd worked with top-notch quarterbacks, elevated those guys, and took Rich Gannon from being a journeyman to an MVP, right? And so I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of hard to really pinpoint it. But I've been around it enough to know how important head coaching is. It, all the way down from the head coach to your running backs to your quality control coach and what kind of difference it could make at the NFL level. It's not like baseball, where if you're a 300 hitter, you know, for one team, you're good, probably going to be a 300 hitter for the other team, and you're probably going to have similar stats at the end of the year. In football, it's all about the system and play calling and how they utilize you. You don't just go out there and do what you want to do. You go out there and do what they want you to do. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes it. And that's why when I look at it and say, I don't care if you assemble Odell and you assemble this hotshot quarterback and you, you have Chubb, who's, you know, an emerging, you know, running back and these defensive players and you bring in Jarvis Landry. It doesn't matter to me because if they don't utilize you right. You could have Hall of Famers in every position and it ain't going to matter. And Kitchens was so inexperienced going into it and he hadn't accomplished anything. I'm like, there's no way it's humanly possible for anybody to bring this all together. 
Well, here's what here's what is the is to me the most surprising. It's not okay. that they're struggling. It's not that they're losing. It's not that they are undisciplined. It's not that there's penalties or or drops even. It's that the one thing that he was brought in to do well, which he did do well last year, he's not doing well. Is the offense? Yeah. yeah, that's that. That is to me the most surprising. Like if you told me, oh, the Browns are two and six. Their defense is terrible. They're in these shootouts every week, but they lose, you know, because of a couple penalties. They lose, you know, thirty-two to twenty-eight or, or forty to thirty or you know something like that. I would say oh, okay, because when he took over the play calling last year, they were the number one ranked offense from when he took over the play calling, the number one ranked in the entire NFL, and so. I, I was at least thinking they would get, they would and and you know who else thought that all the people that projected fantasy because all these guys were supposed to, are all projected and, and supposed to have been really good fantasy players and they for the most part everyone except for Chubb has been really disappointing because of that that is what is, is the most astonishing to me yeah is but that you know when, when one, you have when you have when you spread your talents thin. Right. When you're like, you take your focus away from being like, let's just say an 100%. offensive play caller or an offensive coordinator. And now you got to manage right. all these other departments, even being in tune a little bit with scouting and what's going on in the college. I mean, you're kind of the CEO, right? And, and you're working with a general manager on contracts, you know, advising on who should maybe be retained or cut during the season. Roster moves all the way down to the 53rd guy. You're responsible for so many things. You can't really focus on doing what you do best. Right, which is probably being on the offensive side of the ball and 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 making your impact known in that manner. And so it takes a really, really extraordinary person to come in and do it. And I've kind of always been of the mindset that if you don't see progress pretty quickly with the offensive or yeah. defensive coordinator, they're probably better off in that one role. Coordinator. You know what Just I mean? Being and, yes, yeah, it's maybe getting seasoned a little bit more or something. But like even like in Denver. You know, I'm not sure. I think my man Vic's probably better off as a D coordinator, right? I now, agree. I mean, maybe he maybe he proves me wrong. It's it's possible, right? But from right from right now, what I see, McVay was the opposite, right? Gruden was the opposite. These were guys that immediately they show they were able to demonstrate what they could do, right? There was a huge difference from Fisher to McVay in a very short period of time. Boom. And I'm these fine guys either got Gruden. it or they don't, and it doesn't always have to be Gino with wins and losses. No, right, no, like you're hundred percent improvement. The progress, Frank Wright, prog- with with Iggy. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the first, exactly. the very beginning. Remember, he went for it, and everybody was laughing at him when yep. when they were in overtime, and they went for it on their own, and they lost the game. But like the team believed in them, and you could see that they were they were going to go on a run. You know, um, you could tell right now when you watch Kitchens. I don't feel like he's learning anything from his mistakes from three weeks ago or from a month ago. You know, like I'm fine with the new head coach. If you believe in them, they're going to take some lumps. They're going to have some mistakes. They're going to get their butt kicked by Belichick, you know, here and there. But it's it's things that he it's it's the definition of insanity when, you know, you keep trying to do something. And it doesn't work over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you keep doing it like there's there's a there's got to be a time when you just say, OK, our approach isn't going to work and, and we have to. So I, I didn't mind the Browns making the hire at the beginning because I'm going, oh, you know what? There's a lot of young new coaches on the upswing. This guy got along very well with Baker. He's a good offensive mind. He he was the one that kind of was able to tweak things around last year. But you have to be able to very early on, like you're doing with the quarterback that you draft. And just say, you know what? We were wrong. 
because you cannot double down and let this yeah, guy cut, cut bait. And let this and, guy come back next. Year. I completely agree because the shelf life of NFL guys is so short. You don't have time to uh, you know to try it out for two three years. You got to cut bait, and move on pretty quickly. The example we've used week in week out is with like Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen. You move off of Rosen, you find your guy, and you quickly get into it. Now you were yeah. talking about a younger guy. Let's take a commercial, and we'll come back and find out how an older head coach who's new to his team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is doing so far this year with our next guest, who is Greg Amon from The Athletic. Stay with us. We will be back in a short moment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, heading into segment two, and we have our first guest of the show. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, we got Greg Amon from The Athletic. He's been a guest with us before, covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Greg, good evening. How are you? Doing well. Doing well, guys. Hope you guys are, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Let's get right to it. Before the break, we were just talking about uh, a head coach who maybe isn't, um, you know, performing at the level or his team's not performing at at the level that the fans want, and that's Freddie Kitchens with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, let's start at the top and and talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their new head coach, who's been in the game for a while, Bruce Arians. And uh, how do you grade out the job he's done thus far? 
I mean, two and six, uh, you can't be too happy about that. You know, they've been close enough to win uh, a bunch of these games. I mean, they've led in five of the six losses. They've led in the fourth quarter of three of them. Um, but they're just not coming out on top. So, you know, young defense that's showing its inexperience right now. Uh, but the second half of their season should be a little bit easier in terms of the level of opponents. Um, you know, they haven't been home in seven weeks, which is tough on any team. Uh, but home this week, and they hope to get the second half started on, on a better note against the Cardinals on Sunday. Now, obviously, Shaq Barrett's been the breakout star on the defensive side of the ball. But what have you pinpointed as being kind of, uh, you know, maybe the, the weak link on the defensive side of things? Yeah, it's definitely the secondary. Um, they haven't had an interception in 15 quarters, I think, going back to week five. Uh, it's just really young. They had three rookies out of five guys out there on Sunday. Um, you know, they put a lot of draft picks into the secondary. They just haven't really uh, gotten them to click in this defense yet. So uh, some growing pains there. Um, they're giving up about 293 yards a game through the air. Um, they've got a good run defense, but it really doesn't matter that much if you can throw as easily as opponents are throwing on them right now. Where do you stand kind of overall on Jameis? You know, he's been someone who is just so inconsistent. And we see, and, and what's hard is that like every, every time he has a really bad game, it seems like the next week he'll have a pretty damn good game where he shows you the flashes of, of where you go, wow, you know, this guy's, even last week I thought he played pretty well. I, I, he was didn't seem like he was the fault of, of losing that game when it was back and forth with a really good Seattle team. He, he, I mean, he kicked the crap out of the Rams uh, a, a few weeks back and just blew the doors off their defense. So overall, like, what do you get the feel that, that Arians feels on, on Jameis? And it's kind of like, where do you, do you come off on, on Jameis after covering him for a while? Yeah, um, I mean, that's kind of who Jameis has been, unfortunately, for going on five seasons now. They're, they're still hoping to get a little bit more consistency and a little less turnovers. Um, but, yeah, he, he's been up and down. Um, you know, he's in a new offense for the first time, really, in his NFL career. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's had – the bad games have been way too bad. He's had games with six and four and three turnovers. Um, so 13 turnovers in three games is pretty rough, even if he's had – three total in the other five games. Um, but he's made a lot of plays. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, again, as he has been in the past, he's on pace for 4,800 yards for 32 touchdowns. Those would both be team records. Uh, but because he hasn't really been able to get those turnovers in check, there's still a question mark in terms of whether he's the guy or not. Uh, he's on a fifth-year option right now. Uh, the Bucks could franchise him. Um, they could give him a long-term deal, or, or if, if things don't go well here in the second half, they could decide to move on, too. So it's kind of a pivotal two months here for him between now and the end of the season. And, uh, you know, Greg, I've been asked that question about Jameis as well, and my sense has kind of been, well, let's, let's give him a shot under the new regime, right? Like you mentioned, he's only had a half season uh, in this system, and let's face it, he hasn't really got a lot of production out of his running game. What, what's going on with uh, Barber and, and Jones and company? Uh, is, is it just the way they're being utilized? I really had big expectations for Barber going into this year particularly, and it doesn't seem like he's really um, been able to give them any kind of steady production that they could rely on. And that can't help yeah, I mean, the consistency for a quarterback either, right? No, right. I mean, first of all, the offensive line's been an issue. I mean, Winston's been sacked 30 times more than any other quarterback in the NFL. Um, I think part of the run game problem is that they've fallen behind in some games. And I think when you fall behind early, you get behind double digits in the first half. It's really easy to to get out of your game plan and the offensive balance you'd like to have uh, and just throw the ball a lot. So 
So in terms of the running game, Peyton Barber's kind of gotten pushed aside. Uh, Ronald Jones, their second-year guy at a USC, um, got his first start on Sunday, had 18 carries, think he had 67 yards, had a touchdown on the first drive. Um, he's probably more the focal point of the running game here going into the second half of the season. Um, has played well, but you know has had small roles some games. So I think that they will probably be a little bit more committed to him and to running the ball. Um, if they can just get themselves out of these early holes they dig themselves into, that'll help them be able to be more of the running team they want to be. Um, you know, their yard per carry hasn't been terrible, but uh, more than anything else, it, it's just consistency there, too. Whether it's Jones or Barber or some combination of the two, um, they want to get to where they're carrying the ball, you know, 30 times a game and, and owning the clock and owning the line of scrimmage. And they're still, right now, they're a team that ends up throwing more than they want to. Now, on, on a brighter side of things, I got to imagine it's, Got to be a lot of fun covering Godwin and Evans. Seems like those guys, either one or both, is having a monster game week in, week out. You can't guard both of them, yeah. Yeah, the last couple games here, I mean, Evans has had over 180 back-to-back. No one's ever had three straight 100-yard games, 180-yard games in NFL history. And he's going up against an Arizona secondary that's given up 24 touchdowns against two interceptions this year. So, yeah, the passing game's been a lot of fun for those two. Uh, I think they're both on pace for 100 catches, both on paces for 1,600 yards. Um, crazy video game numbers. Um, it's like they would be, I don't think any team in NFL history has had two guys get 1,500 yards in the same season. Um, and they're on pace to do that. So it's, it's, it's fun to see those two. And that if you cover one too much, if, if you put a safety on Evan's side, try and double him, it, it leaves Godwin open and vice versa. So you don't know which one of them is going to go off on a given week, but between the two of them right now, they're, they're good for about 200 yards a game. What, what to me, when I, you know, watch these Tampa games back and when I'm, you know, figuring out, you know, wagers for the weekend and stuff like that, I'm sure for you who covers them, these are the teams that for me are, are always, I don't know, the most frustrating because this team isn't that far away from being like a playoff team. You know, I don't know about a Super Bowl winning team, but they're not far off. Like they have, as you mentioned, they have some good skill players. They have a great wide receiver core. They have an up and coming running back now who maybe, you know, you hand the reins to Jones and they, they, they're very good against the run. So it's like, they don't need a whole lot of fixing. And like you said, you look at their schedule, they got screwed in that Titans game uh, by the, by the penalty there. There's three games on their schedule that that could have flipped that could have flipped. And then we're talking about a different team. Is that like, do you get the feel covering them that they, they're not far off or or does it feel like they are really a two and 16? Right. It's both, if you will, which is hard to imagine, but yeah, I mean, if you make a kick that they make 90% of the time against the giants, that's one win. If they just get the correct call on that, fumble that was blown dead against the Titans. They got a lead, four-point lead with two minutes to go. Now they're four and four. And don't get me wrong, the first Carolina game, they won on the two-yard line. So they're two yards away from being one and seven at the same time. But I do think uh, there's an awareness that they've let games get away. So you have Arizona at home this week. You have Atlanta, who's been god-awful. You still have them twice. You have Jacksonville. They're, they're winnable games in the second half of the schedule. Um, now, again, I think for them moving forward, the difference between being 5-11 and 11 again or being 7-9 and nine is significant when you're trying to create some momentum and raise the expectations next year um, when this will be a little bit more of a, of a personnel that fit Bruce Arians and what he wants to do on both sides of the ball. 
Yeah, I was just going to mention that schedule, and, and I know you've mentioned them, and Gino's mentioned the schedule as well, but when I look at it, you only have three teams with a winning, winning record that remain on the schedule, and that, that being the Saints, Indianapolis, and the Texans. No cold-weather games uh, at all uh, on the schedule. Every game is either you know in Florida or uh, on uh, turf uh, indoors. And so, and right. To kind of piggyback on this, Mike, yep. Tampa's coming off of a brutal, like Tampa and the Raiders were the two teams that got really screwed by the schedule makers this year. I mean, <laughs> they were gone on the road for how long, Greg? 49 days between home games, yeah. between games well, in Tampa. I mean, I mean, they had a home game. They just have it in London, 4,400 miles yeah. away from home. So, yeah, they're <laughs> so fans just... that haven't seen their team. I mean, they haven't won since September. They haven't played at home since week three. Um, the nice thing is you get five of eight at home down the stretch here. They get their last two games at home. So if you can somehow get yourself back to be a relevant team, you get to close it out, you know, on your home field with, with the advantages that you certainly haven't had in the first half of the season. Which is kind of where I was going with that, with the schedule, is when, you have, when you're a two-win team at the halfway mark, you know, and you hear a lot of, a lot of talk lately about tanking and tanking for – for Tua or for a high draft pick or whatever the case may be, what what do you think is is the goal for this team? Is it just keep improving and get to seven and nine, eight and eight, and you know win win more games than you lose in the second half, or or is it yeah, you know let's kind of hope we get the better pick? Yeah, no, that's I think that's very much the direction. I mean, their head coach is sixty seven years old. He doesn't want to rebuild. He doesn't want to play for a draft pick. He wants to win every game he can. Um, and there's, for some fans, I mean, Bucks have been here before, where it's, it's a tricky thing where some fans are looking at draft position and some fans are looking at wanting to win games. And it's like, you know, some of them are unhappy no matter what. Um, but no, Bruce Arians wants to win, wants to get this back to being a culture that expects to win. Um, they're coming up on almost a calendar year since their last home win. So if all you do is just start winning the home games and having the expectation of winning in your own building, that's changing things a little, whether it shows up in terms of a playoff berth or a winning record this year, it's just a step in the right direction, which is something they haven't had in a while. Now, Greg, before we let you go, we're Gino and I are both big dog lovers here. And uh, you just put out a piece on the athletic about Chris Godwin. Why don't you fill in our listeners really quickly on uh, what that's all about? Yeah, really cool story. Uh, Chris Godwin, a guy that's been wildly successful this year, uh, fantasy football favorite for anybody that has him on their team. Um, and he's got a neat thing where, I mean, he's just a young guy, 23 years old, but but he and his girlfriend um, have their Team Godwin Foundation. Um, a very big part of that it has to do with uh, rescuing animals from uh, shelters, finding homes for pets, adoption, all that kind of thing. It's really neat. So Godwin has a thing. Uh, if you go to pledgeit.org, pledgeit.org slash Godwin, uh, you can pledge just a donation based on every catch he has. It could be 50 cents for every catch he has, 10 bucks for every catch he has, but uh, it, it goes here locally in Tampa to, uh, you know, the Humane Society of Tampa Bay and other organizations to work with, uh, trying to keep the shelters from being full and trying to keep animals from being at risk of, of getting euthanized. Um, it's something that's very near and dear to Chris Godwin. He's got two dogs. Uh, we got lots of cute pictures of Godwin with his dogs. Um, and it's just a neat story. He, he's a good guy, and, and it's, it's a, a good cause to support, and he gets to do a little bit toward that every time he catches a pass, which is a lot lately. Well, that's good stuff, man. We urge everybody, Gino and I mentioned all the time, Greg, that we're big fans of The Athletic. We subscribe to The Athletic. We read you guys' work. 
Love you guys' work. And you can get pieces like the one that Greg just mentioned on The Athletic, and you can't get them anywhere else. Really, it's an A-plus oh, product. So uh, keep up with the good work, Greg. We always appreciate you having the, f- the time to, to join us, and uh, we'll check back in with, with you maybe if they go on a on an eight and zero run and get get uh, get into the playoffs, and uh, we'll 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 talk about how we were kind of dead wrong about uh, this being a two win team that should tank. Excellent. Hey, thanks guys very much. We'll talk again later in the year. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. That's Greg Amon of the Athletic Tampa Bay. Uh, yes. You know, to me, this was, if you remember, Gino, this was a team that I actually called as my long shot playoff pick. We each sure. kind of took some outside-the-box teams, and um, this isn't me being stubborn. I don't regret making the pick. They no. have been in a lot of games. Um, I, I Here's what I'll tell you. You got to score in this league, and I think sometimes, and you, you see how many teams just can't move the ball or can't score on a regular basis. I think if you've got an offense in this day and age, it might be a little bit easier to then figure out how to stop yes. the team, sure. you know? So I, I, I would rather have – and the case in point is the Bears, right? They can have mm-hmm. an all-world defense, but if you can't move the ball, it doesn't matter. But if Jaguars you can move the ball and you can get yeah. an occasional stop every once in a while, and sometimes that might be just, you know what? We need to get one more pass rusher. You know, now we got yeah. Shaq Barrett and another pass rusher. It makes, it makes our secondary look a lot better. Or maybe that's getting a safety who could, you know, provide a lot of coverage on both sides of the field – uh, because he's just that good and can elevate the play of the corners. There, there's so many different facets to it. And when I look at it and say, you know what? It's all about having the ability to score points in this day and age. Then I go back and I look at a team like Tampa who could put up just point, points, yards, air it out. They've got good running backs. They haven't utilized them the right way just yet. But they'll figure that out. And they're they're not... Like when I look at this team and that's the same thing when I, I you know, I'm going to mention the Browns again because they feel like those teams that there are some two and five or two and six teams. But I, you don't look at them like you look at the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bengals, no, no. like in the Giants, like these aren't inadequate teams. They're just teams that haven't like put it all together. I mean, if you told me that the Bucks beat the Saints, I wouldn't be surprised. No, in either no of those I wouldn't games be surprised at all. Because they could outscore anybody. And the same thing, like, if you tell me that they beat any team, I wouldn't be surprised at all. It just, there's the, he mentioned the word a couple times, and that's been the word with Jameis repeatedly. It's consistency. Is he consistent enough as a quarterback you can count on to go out there, not every week, but let's just say 10 weeks of the 16 and show up with not terrible performances, right? Not and, and I don't. We I keep saying it, like you don't have to be great. You just have to not be terrible. You just have to be average, and you don't have to be. You're not the reason, like the London game where he turns the ball over six times. You cannot have games like that. They just they can't be every three weeks. Oh, it's it's we know we know what today is. We know it's uh it's bad Jameis game. You know, and everybody jokes about it. And it's the famous Jameis versus. Seamus Jamie, you know, like yeah, and there's yeah. a there's a big joke about it, but it's like you, you just can't you have to be consistent. That's the difference between being not good and and between being a playoff team. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll leave you with this thought as we go into our final commercial break. You know, a lot of people are kind of looking at the the Cowboys, especially early in the season, as having maybe the best offense or one of the best offenses in the uh, NFC. Uh, the Packers, obviously, once kind of Aaron Rodgers and uh, Jones, uh, you know, just started doing their thing over in Green Bay or even the uh, Saints and their offense, whether it be with Breeze or, or Bridgewater, Tampa's outscored all of those teams. They have more points this year than every one of those teams that I mentioned. And when, when, like, when they look good, they look really good. And there's just some matchups where you cannot stop both Godwin and Evans. It's just impossible. You try to double one or double the other, and the other's going to beat you. And so they have, like, they're just not far off, you know, just a, a tweak or two. And maybe it's Arians, and maybe you just took him, you know, the first half of this season. But they're never a team that I just completely, ah. Oh, like look against. I like betting them when they're underdogs a lot because they're feisty. And like last this last weekend, they absolutely should have covered that Seattle game. Uh, I know. Mean, and we'll talk a little bit about point spreads yeah. after the break. But that was that was a rough one, man. I, I feel for you. Let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back and give our week ten NFL picks. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel tune into the revolution with jim and trav this week as the boys hit up big game calipers and cartridges in-depth field care over-the-counter public land strategies and all-out catfishing mayhem joining them is stan potts of whitetail explorer and north american whitetail tv eric rice with sticky holsters and the kansas Catman cat daddy the revolution's guns and gear discussion is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv saturdays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america variety channel Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Closing things out here on the Mike Abadir Show. Big thanks to Greg. Uh, does a great job each and every time we talk to him and 
You know, like is it, covering them has just got to be frustrating. You just that you, it's it's exciting, right? It's never a dull moment. You just never know which team you're going to get. Yeah, it re- really is one of those things where um, they're they're not even a Heckle and Jai t- uh, Clyde type team. They're uh, what is it, Jekyll and Hyde? Jekyll and Hyde I just totally yeah. dyslexic that. Uh, Heckle and Jide, yeah. Yeah, Heckle and Jai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're a team that typically their offense is going to show up. And it's not that common where you have like such a pass rushing specialist who's not able to elevate his team. It just kind of shows you how bad their corners really are. You know they what are. I mean? You got a, the, the league leader in sack. I mean, we saw what happened when Khalil Mack went to the Bears last year. Just his presence alone. Now, granted, they had a much better defense, but it elevated the play of everybody else. But uh, obviously, that'll be a focal point of the offseason, right? Yeah, what do you say? Fifteen straight quarters without an interception. Yep, that they've had. I mean, yep. that's hey. You get nowadays they, there's so much the ball's thrown so much, and there's like you know there's a lot of miscommunication and stuff like like you accidentally get interceptions a lot. Like how often do we see teams literally just get gifted an interception like thrown right to the defense where they didn't force the interception at all? It was just a bad throw. That's yeah. almost hard to have happen to not like dude, accidentally get one. Fifteen quarters is half season as a as a as a, as a uh, what is it? Four games, quarter of the season. That's absurd. Like that's a ton of time without a pick. I yeah. mean, that's just yeah, unbelievable. So unbelievable. last week they were, as I mentioned, they were one of the teams. So always, it's not you know. And, and when I gamble, when I analyze games, when I pick games, I never mind losing. And this is like a mantra that I live by. It's not that you lose because everybody's going to lose. It's how you lose. Like the way you lose that makes it frustrating. And like over the weekend, Seattle was a five and a half point favorite against Tampa. I like Tampa and Tampa was battling with Seattle all the way back and forth. Tampa had the lead actually early. They were up two scores. Seattle came back, took the lead, but it was never like looked like Tampa was done and they scored late. So the game was tied. Seattle drives down and they're set up to kick a 44 yard field goal. And it's just funny because I'm, I'm someone who bet Tampa, but I'm just rooting for the field goal. Because I just need Seattle to win this game by three, and then Tampa covers. Instead, they miss the field goal, Seattle gets the ball, and then they score a touchdown in overtime to to lose by six. That was one of my three losses. The other loss, one of them, was the Bears. They were plus five. They lose by eight. Philly's driving to run out the clock with 24 seconds left. It's fourth and two. They're in the red zone. Doug Peterson never kicks field goals in that situation. He always goes for it. And that was actually a dumb call on his part because the only way the bears could have come back in that game was if they blocked the field goal and ran it back. If you just go for fourth and two and you miss it, the bears are going to have the ball with like 16 seconds left, no timeouts, and they're going to have to go 80 yards. So you basically gave them an opportunity to kick up, to get a blocked field goal and run it back. And they didn't, so they end up going up by eight. And that's the other, one of the other losses I have. The third loss I have was Vinatieri. Vinatieri missed a game-winning field goal for the Colts. Those are the three losses this weekend. Like, you know, you scratch your head after and you go, I think I was on the right side of all those games. And, and he was just unlucky. And, and, you know, you hope that the ball's going to bounce back your way the next few weeks. But it's brutal when it's happening. Like, that's not a nice way to lose three different games. Yeah, you... you <laughs> It's been the tale of two halves so far. Your weeks one through five were so dominant. They were so good. Really, two through five. It's just two, three, four, and five were just so fantastic. And you've had every unlucky bounce go against you, it seems, in week six, seven, eight, and nine. Well, particularly week six and nine. It's uh, 
it's been one of those things where I know you do the work. I know you come really prepared. And uh, sometimes that's just the way that uh, the gambling gods, uh, yep. what they have in store for us. Uh, so where are we at in the season here? So you're 14 and 18 after that 0-3 week. Uh, I was lucky and went 3-0 and last week. Uh, we're on the right side of Oakland, Denver, and the Chargers. Two of them were outright winners. And uh, the Oakland Raiders, uh, they, they kind of laid the wood to the Lions. That puts me at 15 and 13 for the season. Looking to kind of build on the momentum here over the last few weeks. Actually, outside of over and unders, if, uh, if, if any of the listeners out there are uh, stupid enough to, to follow my plays every single week, uh, you, you've, you've probably done pretty well since week six. You throw out you know, two over-unders, which I'm pretty junky at. And just in terms of backing the teams, uh, you know, the, the record's been pretty strong and hoping to build on that this week. What do you got for us this week, Gino? You got anything that uh, is jumping off the page at you? Yeah, uh, a few. So we'll start with the... Starting with the... The Browns. I'm going to go right back to them again. Uh, they're two and a half. You can, you can get them, I, I think, in, in some spots, three in some spots. I, I think I you just, actually can't. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, it's, it's starting to move a little bit to the Bills. The two. This is one of those weird games where it's like all the money's coming in, all the public bets coming in on the Bills, but the money's still moving. The line's still moving the Browns way. Like Those are the games I like to bet because it means a lot of the sharp people. And it's just another thing where you look back at the Browns and it's like, man, they invent ways to lose. They're going to... I, I have a feeling they're going to go on a run and have like two or three of those games like they had against Baltimore, and it'll all be for nothing. You know, it'll well, be we'll a little also, like... We'll also get a things. feel, by the way, Gino, for the Bills' record is that is that mainly, uh, you know, Washington, Miami, and the Jets? Like the, or like do the they really have a good defense that can carry this team and just enough offense to be able to win some games? So I think this will be an interesting game. Sure, on the on the stat page or on the win-loss columns, you know, you look at it and say, you know, they're going against a 2-16. and 16. What's it really going to tell you? Well, it's going to tell me a lot. It's going to tell me a lot because Browns have so many great skill position guys. Uh, the Browns are at home, and they've – they have the ability, at least, to put up some points uh, when when they're on their game, if you will. So this it's kind of an intriguing game to me. Yeah, the, I'll do. I'm gonna have three this week. So my second will be the Bears at home. Uh, they're minus two and a half. I, I like the way they just started to move the ball um, last week. I finally felt like in the second half they were moving the ball well. They looked horrible in the first half. Um, I think they figured a couple things out. And the Lions have just had a bad run. Whether it's been a combination of like poor refereeing, bad luck, and maybe a game or two where they kind of were their own worst enemies. You look back at their last string of like five games and they very easily could have like not lost any of them, it, you know? And, and unfortunately they lost again last week when they had an opportunity to tie that game against the Raiders late. So I don't know if this is a good spot for the lions. Um, we'll take the bears. We'll take the Browns. We'll take the Titans I, mainly because the Titans, the chiefs look really good last week. The Titans are one of those teams where I never know what to do, but whenever I feel like they're a play against, they're a play. <laughs> and they're <laughs> they're back home. Tannehill's kind of feisty. I think Kansas City is pretty happy that they've been successful without Mahomes for the last few weeks. I wouldn't be shocked if this game is just tight. I don't think Tennessee wins the game, but I could see the Chiefs winning this game by like a field goal. So I'm going to play Tennessee at home plus the six. 
I want to ask you about an interesting line. It's not it's not a game I'm going to touch, but to me, it's uh, maybe one of the games of the year, and that's on Monday night, Seattle and San Francisco. Seattle is a, uh, San Francisco is a six point favorite. That's too much. That's, that's too a little much. bit much, isn't it? Yeah, um, and mainly because I, the reason why I bet Tampa last week was because I thought Seattle would be looking ahead to this game. Like this is their biggest game of the year right now. Uh, and that's why I thought they may be a little flat last week, like not going to get pumped up for Tampa when you're when you're circling that big game against San Fran. And I think San Fran, they're a little banged up right now, too. Um, they're a very good team. And I'm, I'm, I'll admit it many times that I've been wrong about them. Like every time I feel like they're going to come out kind of a little bit flat, they're very well coached. And that that's the difference. They just don't come out flat because they're because I think of their coaching staff. This might be different, though. They could win the game by three. It just feels like too much. The six is way too much against the MVP caliber Russell Wilson. Um, Gordon might be into the mix now for uh, for Seattle next week. Their receiving cores it could be really good. Like if you have Lockett, Metcalf, and Gordon there, like th- that's some weapons to to use. So yeah, I think they were a little flat this week, and that might be um, a game I'll play. I keep an eye on it because if it can go up a little bit, I'd love to get it up to six and a half. You know? No, no doubt about that. So. My picks are we're actually on the same page about the Browns against the uh, Bills. Uh, I think that the Browns, it, look, if it doesn't happen this week, the season's over, right? We can, oh, yeah. we can, we can agree on that. Two, they, yep. If they go to yep. two and seven, they're done. They're yep. probably done anyways. Absolutely. But, I mean, it would but, really, but really be beneficial. Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, like they, they you got to win off. games like this if you're going to make a mm-hmm. run to get to the playoffs. 100%. And if you can't beat the Bills at home, then, then, then you're, not, you're not a playoff team. And I'm going to nope. take the same kind of logic with the uh, Buccaneers, right? Uh, and I'm seeing that line. Uh, it, it opened up six, and it's been creeping downwards. I believe it's at four and a half right now is where, yeah. what I'm seeing four it at. Five, yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm going to take the Buccaneers at home four and a half against the uh, Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals have outperformed my expectations going back east. But how many times are they going to go back east and be able to do it again and again and again? Uh, I think this week they're just not going to put up as many points as the Bucks will. But that probably will be a really fun you know, fantasy football type of game where they're going to be airing it out and a lot, a boatload of point, points should be put up. Uh, the next game for me is the Seattle Seahawks getting six points. I think it's a lot of points for a Monday night football game. Russell Wilson is always, always comes through when the lights are the brightest. So I'm going to take Russell the muscle uh, remnants of Russell Bays there. Um, on that play. And um, I thought I had one more, but I think I'm probably going to stand pat at three. Three three seems to be kind of my lucky number anyways. So there you have it. Week nine, NFL week nine. We're already, that's crazy. We're more than halfway through the season now. Yeah. This is week 10. Yeah. This um, is week 10. So we're, I think it was like the middle of last week was the official halfway point of the season. Um it's crazy how quickly it goes and how quickly things change from week to week. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to, uh, you know, which one of these kind of divisional opponents is going to, um, you know, flex their muscle between San Francisco and Seattle. The other big game this weekend is Dallas and Minnesota. That's going to mean a lot for playoff positioning. It's going to mean a lot for potentially are you a home team hosting a game uh, as a division Texas, winner or are you going to be a wild card game. team? 
What's that? on Thursday. This tra- we're, we're about and, to go right now, but this Chargers big, Raiders game on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, it's a big one too. It's a big one too. Most probably the loser is out. Winner stays in the game. So uh, that's a big one between the Raiders and the Chargers. So a lot of good stuff coming up this weekend. Uh, that's all the time we got for this week's show. As always, thank you for listening. We thank, thank Greg Amon for joining us. Same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.